Save the Stub. Hi, and welcome to week two of uh, Save the Stub. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this week, I'm joined yet again by my two co-hosts, Roy Manair. How you doing, Harry? Hi, mate. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm ready for some quality film discussion. That's that's the spirit, and uh, also the uh, the novice mind <laughs> of, wow. of, Will, of Will Foster. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in yeah. a row. Hi, Harry. How well, are you? We get we get to five weeks, and I'll count you as a semi-professional, and then we'll then we'll be absolutely fine. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. I need a medal or something. Uh, and this week we are looking primarily at the new release One Night in Miami uh, on Amazon Prime. Uh, this is a it's a film focusing on a fictional discussion of, of about the civil rights movement in the 1960s featuring, you know, key figures such as Muhammad Ali and uh, Malcolm X. So, shall we get into it? Let's go. Let's go. Film of the week. Uh, so this week we watched One Night in Miami, which uh, came out last year and is a film focused around the 1960s civil rights movement in America. Uh, it's mostly about a fictional conversation between four quite big icons at the time. So you've got uh, Malcolm X, obviously what everyone will know, Cassius Clay, later to be renamed Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, who is one of the best American football players of all time, really, and Sam Cooke, who for me, and I know for a couple of you guys as well, was probably the least known of the four men as, as a um, famous musician at the time. Uh, what did you think of the film, Will? First impressions? Yeah, so um, it's difficult for me to say that it was an out-and-out good film or great film. Um, I think, firstly, like we need to acknowledge the concept. It's, like, it's a really interesting concept. And uh, one thing we all talked about bef- before we recorded, well, me and Rory did, was um, this actually being a play. So this was in theatres uh, quite some time ago, written by a guy called Kemp Powers, Interestingly, this film links quite heavily to what we did last week, which if you've listened to the episode is quite surprising. So Kemp, Kemp Powers co-wrote the script for Soul, which was the Pixar film that we watched last week. Oh, did it? I didn't actually know that. Yeah, and he wrote um, the play One Night in Miami of what, what this, this film is based on. So yeah, in, interesting link straight away there. Um, but having not known that and then kind of realising that after I'd watched the film that it was originally for theatres, I think it's quite easy to tell that 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 was the case um, just because of the concept. So a lot of the film takes place in, in one room or in a, in a hotel. Uh, and I, I don't know if that helps or hindered kind of the production, to be honest. Um, but yeah, like I said, acknowledge the, the concept. It, it's loosely fictional, isn't it guys? But actually these, these people all did know each other in real life and they, they were friends. Yeah. It's sort of a weird one. Cause <laughs> Watching it, you can immediately tell that this is something that would be suited really well to sort of a stage performance. Like you could see this entire thing played out in one room over the course of a couple of hours, and that makes sense. But I feel like if you're going to bring it into cinema, you've almost got to take the artistic liberty of you've got more scope to work with. So yes, it, a lot of it's set in this hotel room, essentially, which isn't a spoiler or anything. But it doesn't really, it's, it's not a good vehicle for you to really watch a film through, I don't think. And there are occasional bits where they do go outside or there's scenes that aren't entirely separate in this sort of motel complex. But it doesn't fit an interesting film experience to me, especially given the characters and the frame of mind and the timing that they're sort of trying to work with throughout the film. And given, without saying any spoilers, the ending sort of two minutes where they sort of explore quite a lot of the consequences of actions from that night, et cetera, et cetera. Rory, did you, what were your thoughts? I think it's interesting that you say the word spoilers because I feel like it would be really hard to spoil this film. Um, I kind of found, like we were saying, more suited to a theatre production. I feel like modern audiences, this is the kind of content that's more suited to a documentary. Um, I think it's generally quite hard with, with biopics and kind of like, true to life character films for me to hit them spot on, especially with four characters like that. I felt um, kind of throughout, it felt a little bit forced and a little bit like four guys kind of cosplaying civil rights heroes. Um, <laughs> but then not to, not to diminish their achievements or anything. But. No, well, that's the thing. Like they're kind of, they are icons and you have to respect those achievements, but it's, it, I feel, I feel like it would be more compelling if I was hearing it either from them, I know three of them have passed now, um, or from kind of people who knew them, people who were in the same kind of circle. 
Um, but I did enjoy the film. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. I think the kind of conversations they were having need to be had and need to be heard by the whole world, um, which is why they've become so kind of iconic. I think that was kind of what Regina King, the director, who is an act, uh, an actor that I really am a fan of anyway. Uh, she's from a TV show, one of my favourite ever TV shows called Southland from back in the early 2000s. I think that is what she was going for as a core principle. But I also think that given that this is entirely fictionalised, you know, it, but plays with real characters who were aware of these situations, blah, blah, blah. It's it's almost kind of have like harder to have uh, an empathy or an insight take on what they're saying because I can't believe the conversation to be entirely true. Like, I think it's all really well acted. I think... Leslie Odom and King Bensley, uh, Kingsley Benadire as Malcolm X and Sam Cooke are so, so good. Honestly, I think they're really well cast. Uh, Leslie Odom can sing <laughs> really well. You know, he does it in Hamilton, he does it again in this. But I don't know if I sort of 100% believe the authenticity of what they're saying to one another. Like, they might have said that. I can't say they wouldn't have. But when it's entirely fictionalised, you can't have that sort of biopic, this is a true story slapped on it for people to really think well that hits home and that sort of I don't know diminished it a little bit for me which I seem, think seems harsh because there probably are real conclusions that the you know Ken Powers has come to but it doesn't feel for me like I was entirely watching something that is based in uh, based entirely in fact yeah I, I think why I would love to have seen this in theatres and why I think it's so suited for theatres is because um, you know, I'm quite a novice of going to like a theatre. I, I don't really do it much, but I tried to more recently. And when you're there and the actors are in the same room as you, you get such a sense of emotion and tension between them on stage that it's it's really quite powerful. So you can really get into dialogue and kind of because the nature of a theatre is the set's kind of fixed, right? They, they can't change what's going on in the background and you're sat in one seat, so you can't, you know, change perspective or camera angles. It's really about that relationship between actors. And and I think I agree with with you, Harry. The, the acting was was really pretty good and I was impressed. But um, I, I saw online a lot of criticism or not a lot, but one of the main criticisms was uh, some of the dialogue was just, a bit too long. Um, some of the conversations I felt were a bit more difficult to listen to than others. I think in the really intense moments when, you know, Malcolm X is really, really upset and he, he's trying to get across a message. Um, the, the acting was superb. Uh, agreed with that. Um, and, and similar with Sam Cooke, because, you know, Sam is the character that probably clashes most with the others in terms of his views are, are more different, uh, particularly to Malcolm's than the other two. Um, and because of that, you know, we got to see a bit more of a dynamic acting performance from those two actors. Um, but, but the other two, you know, were kind of a bit more in the middle and although they were well acted, I think at points that kind of uh, let, let their characters down a little bit because John Brown was, was quite a reserved character, I thought in, in the film. And he was kind of one that was a bit more of a peacemaker and a bit more uh, on the fence, kind of seeing both sides. Uh, and Muhammad Ali, his character was, you know, a bit more jokey and and jovial, um, but had less serious moments in it. I thought, and um, yeah, but but overall, the the acting was was great. I just think some of the the script or the dialogue they were given at times was a bit limited. I mean, Rory, would you, would you go so far as to say that this film was actually sort of an emotionally powerful film? Because I think there are scenes where, the you know, first 10 minutes, uh, I'll be dead honest, I was, I was straight out bored. Some of the script was really badly and clunky. But then there's one particular line in the first scene with Jim Brown that everyone who's seen the film will know I'm talking about. That is really impactful. And it, uh, you, almost, you sort, of, sort of had like a sickening sense that it was coming, but you didn't want to expect it. And there were moments like that in the film, you know, again, with Sam Cooke and um, Malcolm X clashing and the final scene, uh, final scene where Sam Cooke's on that talk show and there's sort of a, a brief recounting of history from that point on were powerful. But a lot of the middle part for me especially was sort of meandering. It was a little bit like filler for, for a few main big plot points. I think it was a powerful film. I think emotionally, like, it did grab me once it got going i agree i think the kind of first half an hour for me i was like they established the characters and i was kind of like where is it going to go is it going to be a kind of a 
black and white plot where we see certain events and kind of things happen and that lead to consequences or is it going to be a kind of here are your characters and then what we kind of get which is basically just like an hour and a half of conversation which isn't necessarily a bad thing i think like we've said in theaters that can work dialogue heavy stuff can be made to kind of be impactful if it's put in the right surroundings i think there are moments that it came off i think the kind of condensed nature of what this film was trying to get across or how the film was trying to get things across had its had its good moments had its bad moments um i think i, I liked the the scene on the on top of the, on the on the roof of the hotel i thought that was quite good um quite kind of i know it's just them moving around in the space which again when it comes to theater is something that's quite important um but i thought it kind of kept things going and kept me engaged um which worked well yeah what i will say um harry alluded to earlier there were moments when they did kind of like leave the room and they were in different locations and i I think that was needed i think this film just about kept me interested in terms of keeping them on the move and not exactly in the same place uh, i think cassius clay and, and sam cook when they went to the liquor store firstly I, th- I think the that scene looked really good um all the lighting and, and the way they shot that was was really interesting and, and nice and um yeah the rooftop scene for me was was another highlight i think it was it was a bit more candid uh, you know we had a moment of real tension on the roof and and that was kind of broken by a bit more of a, a jokey relationship between all the characters which was which was nice and uh, I think that helped as well. I think one thing that was done fantastically well with the direction of the film was the kind of sense of danger you got when it came to Malcolm X Mm. um, and like his kind of experience in his surroundings because I think the whole film he was like you could sense he was kind of on edge and a bit uncertain of how safe he was. Um, Obviously coming from me like I'm we're all quite kind of detached from like the 60s civil rights movement in America um, and our kind of age, I think. But one thing obviously I did know about Malcolm X was, was how he died and the fact he was like assassinated. Um, And I obviously, I think it was similar with um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But the fact that he was um, kind of constantly in danger and it got to the point where he was kind of constantly under threat especially at places like hotels when he was staying at places to give talks the whole film I kind of thought is something terrible going to happen at this hotel um, and the scene where he kind of goes outside to to make that phone call but kind of looks around and there's this, just like an air to the film uh, that makes you really on edge yeah it's like a constant reminder of why we're watching these this film and and why the film exists in the first place you know um yeah i agree that that constant reminder was good and it was also quite necessary i think for the for the film to be shot as it was because production value wise this film does look good you know it looks like a 60s period piece and i think they probably helped themselves by having so few scenes outside of that hotel room that they've actually got to spend you know because there's all the things about you've got to get period era cars you know costumes you've got to make the hotels and the buildings look right and they do you know obviously effort was put into those which makes it look good and looks looks authentic but then my issue sort of came with a degree of artistic liberties taken because again again it comes back to this point for me of you're trying to make this film empathetic and impactful whilst also accepting that you have not sorry not trivialized fictionalized some of the facts to a degree but then when sort of the timeline doesn't add up, because there's things about Sam Cooke dies fairly soon after this film sets and things like that. This is all set around a fight that Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, did actually have in real life. So the timeline's all a little bit over the, all over the place as well. So again, there I was sort of watching and thinking, am I supposed to believe this entirely as true? Or am I watching this as if it's a fictionalised account that would have happened but didn't happen but could have happened? And it, I don't know, it, it just sort of it took me out a little bit when I realised that it didn't all sort of fit together as it should historically and almost should be a case of they weren't all in the right place at the right time rather than, oh no, this actually wasn't a thing that ever really was going to happen, but, you know, it might have done in another time in another world. I think you kind of have to treat this film like it were a play in the sense that going into it, you have to give yourself up to the, like you've said, the kind of artistic licence, the the realities that kind of get blurred with what they need to get their message across. Um, And if you can do that, I think it is a really good film. I think 
an hour and three quarters maybe stretches your attention span when a lot of it is just dialogue you've got to get through, but they are important messages that I think we should appreciate. Yeah. So Regina King, guys, this is her first full length feature film as a director, just for people listening who don't necessarily know who she is or the significance of this being her first job. Well, obviously anyone's first directing job in a, as a full length feature film is pretty important um, anyway, but yeah, Harry, you kind of alluded to it earlier. Could we elaborate a bit more on, who Regina yeah. King is. So, I mean, she's she is a famous actor in her own right, you know. So I the first thing I knew of her being in was this Southland TV show. But in even the last couple of years, she's had big roles as other things. You know, there was this series called If Beale Street Could Talk. I'm pretty sure she's she might even be a co-writer or something on that as well. She was in the Watchmen HBO TV show that came out last year, American Crime. So she's in loads of stuff. So I think she's sort of taken a jump to do some directing, which a lot of the big actors do these days, you know, it's something that is far more accessible than it used to be because it's almost assumed that you could write your own scripts and produce your own films. And especially if you've spent enough time on sets, you at least know what directors are doing. And I'd still say that for a first, you know, it's, it's a heavy topic for, for a directorial debut, no question. And adapting a play on top of that is hard enough in my mind to, to translate onto screen. So I, I, I would still say she's done a good job. But I still felt that there were too many points in it where it was meandering or was too play-centric for me to think this does really well on the screen and this is going to be a film that is successful off its own merit rather than, you know, the individual cast being really good at their roles or it looking really good or anything like that. So I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to gauge overall what I actually feel. I mean, how would you rate this? Well, if you were going to say I've got to put like a, a finite level on what I've seen here, what would you be giving this? So as a as a rating, I'd probably I'd probably be going for about seven, mid seven, probably seven four to seven six. Um, but you know, in terms of what Regina did, when I finished the film, I was kind of thinking, is this like an, a fairly straightforward first director role, or is it actually quite a difficult thing to do? Because on one hand, you know that this is already a different uh this is already a different art form in in the sense that it's been written for for theater and it's probably been quite successful um but then actually having your first full feature film and having to direct that and convert it to screen that could be that could be quite difficult i think for me um i don't know if this is valid or not you you guys might have more of an opinion but I think because we were in one location and we've alluded to it already, the pacing at points was a bit slow. It would have been nice for me if she'd used more tools as a director to kind of keep the viewer a bit more interested, i.e. using a few more experimental camera angles or perspectives when we were, when we were in that room. I think as a director, you can probably take that license to make those kind of calls. And, you know, it's her first job in this kind of role. So fair play for, for keeping it relatively safe and, and straightforward because she was ultimately fairly successful. I think that you, you can't really criticize her for much. Um, but if I had one thing to say, I'd, I'd probably like to see, see that again. And I think that would have really taken the film to another level. Um, you, you've got a really good uh, topic and subject that you're talking about in the film. The acting was great. So I think to level it up, you know, just the composition um, could have been slightly better, but yeah, overall mid seven, I think good good film and would recommend people to watch it if they'd not seen it. Okay. Rory, what what do, what do you think? I get the vibe that you're not as high on it. Uh I'm I struggle. I think if I were to give it an a rating, I'd give it somewhere like a six, six point four, six point five. I think like you mentioned, Harry, it's it's a hard topic. It's kind of a, a meaty topic to get into in your first in your directorial debut. Um and I think now we're seeing a kind of resurgence of the civil rights and social justice movement, uh, especially in America. So I think the message is really important, but I don't know how well this film serves as a kind of continuation of that message. I don't know how relatable. I think a lot of yeah. the, the things, a lot of the conversations are kind of, conversations that need to be had and need to be seen by the world to kind of 
start approaching racism. Um, but I don't know how accessible a film like this is to the modern audience in its form. I think if it were a documentary, it would probably get picked up immediately and kind of become, it would, it would get a little bit more respect maybe or attention. Yeah. Um, if it were a play, I think you kind of, you miss a lot of the modern audience, especially in a pandemic. There is just, there are no playhouses open. Um, but I think it would be more effective and more kind of, uh, more compelling. I think it's still a good film. And just for the messages and the, the characters who I did enjoy seeing, um, I'd still recommend watching it and still want to watch it. But I think it does fall short in certain areas. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think it is worth the casting on this, especially I was reading some of the ways people spoke about it. The the main plus point was really how faithful to their characters the cast were. So people were saying Leslie Odom Jr. playing Sam Cooke had his mannerisms and things when he's on stage, you know, down to a T and was still acting in the same way that he held himself. And even in Kingsley Benadir doing Malcolm X, I felt like he did remind me of Malcolm X in all of the, you know, clips and sound bites I've heard of Malcolm X in the past. Now, I don't know a lot about, you know, I'm an American football fan, but Jim Brown, I don't think I've seen many videos of Jim Brown doing interviews or anything like that. And then Muhammad Ali is, you know, he's Muhammad Ali, you, you know what the man's like. So I, I do think you've got to give a certain amount of credit to how good the acting was, even if you can't almost put that down to the quality of the film itself. But I, I do agree with you. I think it is sort of a middling six. I wanted to like it. That was the thing. And there were bits where I was like, you know, if you had a film entirely like this, I'd be thinking that is a, a great film you've made. But there's too much sort of gappy filler between it where you're either going to lose an audience or lose me to a point where you've got to do almost another like bang up of the shock scene or bang up of something that's, you know, really impactful for me to really think, wow, that was a film that's worth me either seeing again, recommending, telling someone about past it being a civil rights film that almost gets, this is going to sound awful, but almost gets plaudits just for tackling a topic that most people would shy away from. Like, I, I don't know. I don't want to say that's a harsh thing to say, but when you approach difficult topics, you are making a conscious decision to be tackling people's prejudices or views on certain topics. So if you're then going to do that, I almost feel like you've got to do such a good and justified job that you've, you've warranted taking the time to approach that topic rather than I just want to give my take on, you know, uh, any of these sort of cultural movements that are going on. So, you know, I'm not going to put it, consign it down there with the bang average films. I still think it's above that I think production value, the acting, whatever, but I, I think there had to be something, you know, I, I can see it on stage. If this was on stage, I imagine this would, you know, this slab, but just for a film, it's, I think it's a middling six at best. Yeah. I think that's as far as you can really go with saying this is what, this is maybe exactly what she set out to, to direct, but it's still not a groundbreaking film in those respects for me, I wouldn't say. Maybe I should change my rating, guys. You guys are <laughs> you slating me here. No, huh? I, I'll stick to what I said, but pro probably the 7-4. I, I, I agree with what you guys say, and I don't think you'd, well, for one, I, I'm not compelled to rewatch this film anytime soon. Uh, and secondly, Rory, I think you're spot on. I, I think when you come away from this film uh, and why I probably gave it a bit higher than you guys was I think the impact it has is good, but it's not necessarily really about the film. It, it's kind of about the topic that the film talks about. Um, maybe I let that influence my, my score giving a bit, but I'm, I'm going to stick to it. I think seven, four, just for the fact that it's so direct about discussing civil rights. And I think it, we, I don't think we've actually mentioned this when we've talked about the film, but the, the film is all about kind of how these characters perceive their own struggle with the civil rights movement and how they think they can affect it. And I think that, you know, we said the concept is interesting, but that is the concept. And um, I think the actors executed that that pretty well. And yeah, re really interesting idea. But, you know, for theatre, it, Harry, I'd love to go see it at the theatre if you're up for it. We're probably not going really to that opportunity. That's an <laughs> Sorry, Rory, mate, you're not invited. <laughs> not my fault. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we are I like. I guess we are a film podcast, but like we are talking about it. Do you know what I mean? Like it has had that effect that I suppose is desired in starting a conversation, at least for us three who are quite detached from it. 
So I suppose in that respect, Regina King, you've done a bang up job. But would I watch it again? It's not for me to say. I think I think the thing is, you can you can review or critique this film as a film or as a message yeah. Yeah. or as both. <laughs> And I kind of understand why, like Will, why you rate it higher, because I think that message is so important that, especially going into the film expecting a message like that, it does a really good job. And kind of opening yourself up to the dialogue, it, it does a great job. But if you're being really critical, looking at the kind of directorial aspects of it, trying to kind of quantify how well it does at communicating that message, I think you do start to see things that bring it down. It's going to do well at the awards though, guys, isn't it? Right. I think. Do you think I'm not sure? This is this is the thing because normally I would tip these sort of films as they've almost got a America is a real guilt complex when it comes to awards. So anything that really plays on heartstrings, especially for things like the Oscars, they nearly always do well. You know, I can think of any of the big, you know, films of the last ten years that tackle uh, issues of things like racism, slavery. you know, uh, rights for discriminated groups often do well. But I would be interested to see how this does because it's still down the lower end of things like thing, uh, budgeting and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's not massive name actors. There are some big names, don't get me wrong. It's not one of the ones where you've got, you know, proper A-listers slapped all over it. And, it's you know, it's an Amazon Prime production rather than sort of an individual uh, production house altogether. And obviously these streaming services, as we discussed last week, are coming more and more into the foreground when it comes to, you know, awards and actual critical acclaim. But I, I'm not sure. I'd be interested to see. I will be interested to see. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but when I, yeah, let's cut this if it's if it's not right, guys. Um, <laughs> but I, when I was researching, I don't know if nominations and stuff for awards that are coming up have, have already been made. But I think a lot of the acting roles had been nominated from what I'd seen. But you know. Again, I, I'm not sure if, if that's correct or not. I yeah, can, I, so you, I can see that got, being what it would get nominations for rather than as a whole whole production. Yeah, so you've got then mostly things for casting. So you've got uh, Leslie Oden Jr. essentially has been nominated twice. He's got an SAG nomination and a Golden Globe for Sam Cooke. Uh, and then you've got one for director for Regina King uh, in the Golden Globes. And then some stuff like for songs and things like that. But in terms of sort of like whole film nominations, which uh, I'm not saying that they're the benchmark you set like a good film by, but, you know, it very much speaks of the film as a whole. If, if the actors receive the nominations where the film doesn't, uh, the film as a whole hasn't really been nominated a whole, for a whole bunch of things. But obviously there's still a lot of time left for that to change and for more nominations and things to come through. Um, but yeah, well, that was One Night in Miami. In the news this week, <laughs> the, the main one we've got really is, um, I mean, it's the Mandalorian stuff. So Gina Carano, I, I don't know what character she plays. She is one of the main characters, though, isn't she, who isn't the Mandalorian? Yeah. She's, think- been, she's been straight up fired. She's been fired. She's an awful person. She's been an awful person for a while as well. And uh, Lucasfilm have, have straight up cut her out. You know, she's been posting anti-Semitic stuff all over Instagram as well as has a history of mocking mask protocols, trans rights, and sharing right-wing propaganda. Yeah, goodbye. Good. I mean, are we sad that she's gone? Well, you've seen all The Mandalorian. Is it a big loss? Yeah, so this is probably a good opportunity to talk about the the series in general. It's obviously uh, been widely viewed by a a number of people. Um, Firstly, her character is a bit strange, she, we're introduced to her in the first season, which both of you have watched. So you, you saw that she's kind of a friend of the main Mandalorian character, uh, and she helps at certain points in in the plot, and she aids him kind of complete his mission, what he's what he's trying to achieve in the series. But I think we can all agree, poorly acted. Uh, we, we, we're not she just is one of the this. worst actresses I think I've ever <laughs> seen on screen. I actually could not believe. That was one of the things that ruined The Mandalorian for me, that people were saying it was so good. And I was watching this woman act, and I was just thinking, she does not know what she is doing. And she's probably getting paid through the nose for it as well. Yeah, so 
really stress that we're not obviously just saying this because now she's she's gone and it makes us look yeah, good because yeah, we're sorry. criticizing I, her because she's a bad person but <laughs> i didn't like her last week and then she got fired which i just thought made it doubly funny yeah so rory what are your opinions I, i've got my own opinion about the man's lawyer and i i think it heavily relies on people's nostalgia value to kind of carry it through and make it uh, seem as if it's a, a really great series um, I, I don't actually think the quality of the acting and the story in particular is is really poor. It lets it down and it, and it makes it for me impossible to really get behind it as a series. What what do you think? I've, yeah, I'm honestly quite shocked at how bad a lot of the acting is in The Mandalorian because this is like big budget Star Wars content, a lot of excitement behind it, a lot of popularity you know is going to come from it. Um, and like you said, it seems like the only thing they've really invested in is the fa- the fact that it's Star Wars and a few little throwbacks that make you go, oh yeah, look, it's that's that thing from Star Wars, which is enjoyable. You've got to admit, like I enjoyed watching the Star Wars films and I enjoyed the kind of visuals of the Mandalorian. But when it comes to acting, when it comes to plots, when it comes to even direction at points, it's just not good. Um, and it's tough because it's something I really want to enjoy. Like, the kind of base plot isn't that bad. Like, the Mandalorian character, he's, he's very easy to kind of get excited about. You want to see where the story takes him. But it seems like the director's kind of just decided that each episode he'll go on a different quest, meet a different new character, and at the end of the day, we're in the exact same place where we started. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? What I was almost in disbelief when I'm watching episode to episode. All these, you know... Mandalorian, uh, The Witch, uh, all these Avengers spin-offs, they are all just fan service for people who quite like explosions and sci-fi, aren't they, really? Like, you can't re- someone is always going to watch if you have got a bit of lasers or magic or killing of some description without any blood, because that's all these shows seem to do, is kill people and then change the blood to green and suddenly it's, you know, you can make it a PG-12 film. They're all rubbish and they've all got awful actors, but as long as you can put together a semblance of, like, an overarching story to keep people invested, they will just keep watching it. You could honestly just pump it out. She, I mean, she was going to get her own TV show. Yeah, I there saw There was that. something coming out with her in that was like, it's, it's called like, isn't it called like Agents of the Rebellion or something like that about, oh, or Mercenaries of the Empire, something like that, where it's just Wait, her She was going to get her own Star Wars she, yeah. she had a spin-off coming up and she screwed that over as well. So she, I don't know how much money she was making with just the Mandalorian. I and then was like going to make 10 times that again. There's some serious karma with all of this. I think like the laziness of a lot of the stuff in The Mandalorian, the laziness of hiring this terrible actress, the laziness of her own acting has all come back to bite them quite perfectly. But yeah, she's she's talked her way out of a job very deservingly. Millions of dollars. Yeah. Congratulations. The irony is as well is that the only good actor they've cast in the whole show is Pedro Pascal. And the man's an emotionless <laughs> you can't bounty see his hunter face. with a mask on. What, <laughs> how much are they spending? And I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to doing a mask reveal of Pedro Pascal. I was like, what's the point? The man's not doing any acting. You might as well just get... It's like the alien in Aliens was played by the janitor who was on set because he was the only guy tall enough to fit in the alien xenomorph suit and walk around. You don't pay him $10 million because the bloke fits in the suit because he's not doing any acting. He just walks around in a costume. Yeah. Uh, but that's, a diff- that's for another. Diff- but speaking of Pedro Pascal, actually, now this is the bit of news that I'm excited for. Last year, HBO, who, as we know, make banging TV shows, like they just do, they just spend the money to make very good TV shows. Yeah, we can agree. Announced that they were making The Last of Us, which is, uh, I'm not biased, but it is the best video game ever made. Yeah, into, so a t- into a TV show. Anyone... And he has been announced as the, the lead. Yeah. So, anyone... I mean... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I, I mean, I'm just sort of happy. So, anyone not familiar with video games, uh, The Last of Us is considered an incredibly good video game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it is the sort of story that would translate so well into a TV show. That's the thing. And if HBO are going to spend the money that I assume they're going to spend, it will look sick it just will look really good you know and you've got things like one of the directors is the same guy who directed chernobyl which was the it's probably top three tv show i've ever seen hbo as well they've also cast bella ramsey who's like she she's sort of like a supporting character in game of thrones but she's in quite a lot of it isn't she towards the final few seasons she's in loads of the episodes she's sort of the young 
Is she a young queen? I can't really remember what they call her. She's the, yeah, she's basically like the head of one of the, the houses. Uh, yeah, the houses, in, yeah. Kind of towards the north. Um, and she kind of steps up quite a lot and becomes this kind of like boss bitch character. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, because I, I feel like I don't really know her that much as a character. The problem when no. you get young, character, uh, young actors who you see them in one role and you're like, wow, they've, they've got some potential. It's hard to see past that one role. Um, I'm excited about the idea of the film. I think video games turned into films have not done well. You look at stuff like Assassin's Creed recently. No. <laughs> <laughs> awful, like, awful. The problem with that film is that it was just rushed. I think the thing with The Last of Us, I haven't, like I watched a playthrough of the first game. I haven't seen anything about the second game, um, other than the fact it was kind of weirdly violent. Um, oh, the, the second! I'm like halfway through the second game, but I have to stop playing it for periods of time because it's quite like I've got to be locked in to play that game because yeah. it's just things trying to hit you, and I can't. But I think at least that. that should be a bit harder to rush in the way in the way that it happened with Assassin's Creed. I think the whole kind of like zombie apocalypse plotline. It's it's established enough in film and TV that they probably know how to go about it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they can approach that in a good way. And I really like Pedro Pascal. I think he's a great actor. And hopefully seeing him be able to express more emotion than we see in The Mandalorian should be really good. Um, is it Joel, the main character? In- yeah. So there was there were a few people in the running for these various spots. So I think Nikolai Costa-Waldo, also of Game of Thrones, was was in the running. Although I don't know if he would have fit that great. And then there were a lot of people who were saying, oh, he's got to be Hugh Jackman because he looks just like Joel. You know, he looks like Logan without, you know, the Wolverine stuff going on. But I think Petra Pascal is a pretty good cast. Unfortunately, the person who I thought was the front runner for Ellie, who's the other main character, was Caitlin Dever. I don't know if you ever would have seen anything she's in. Have you seen Booksmart or anything like that? She's a really good actress. She's she's properly young. She she must be younger than us, but she's really, really good. She's really funny, but also does some serious roles really well. So I've seen her in things like Justified, which was sort of a, a modern-day Western that was out a few years ago with some other big actors, T- Timothy Oliphant, stuff like that. And she was in line to do it. And then for some reason she pulled out. I'm not sure why. She probably got casting clashes or something like that. So... I think good starts, to be honest. I'm happy with where this is going. I'd like to see how much they're spending on it because, you know, the last few shows that they've put out on HBO, Euphoria was a lot of money. Westworld is silly money. Game of Thrones, obviously, spent everything they absolutely, you know, had on that. But um, as far as early days, pretty positive. Naughty Dog, the studio that make The Last of Us, are also making a, an Uncharted film um, that I am less confident about. I'll be dead honest. I mean, it's there was an issue early doors because it's Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. So that's, you know, that's two A-listers. You're not a fan of uh, Tom Holland, are you, Harry? I don't like Tom Holland, but more funny was Mark Wahlberg refused to grow a moustache for the role. Oh, is this or, is this that film? Yeah, yeah. I've or, seen this. Or yeah. wear an artificial one, even though his character has a moustache. How <laughs> can you take that role and not want to dress as the bloke you're playing? I just could not. I mean, the guy's weird, isn't he? Going anyway. wrong. Honestly, the idea of a video game film with Mark Wahlberg in does sound like a recipe for disaster. Oh yeah, it sounds awful. It sounds like what was that film he was in? Is it The Happening? It sounds like that all over again to me. That's what I'm getting the vibe yeah. for. And then Tom Holland does not fit the bill of a 40-year-old man, which is who he's playing. It's some. I think they're doing like a prequel or something like, you know, oh, how we met each other sort of thing, which isn't why people like the game. Otherwise, they would have bought a prequel, wouldn't they? Silly I think blokes. the idea of Uncharted is very similar to Lara Croft. And to be fair, those Lara Croft films, they're so bad that they're good in that way. Oh, are they? I didn't <laughs> um, see any of them. I've not I seen didn't... them. I mean, yeah. Angelina Jolie as Lara Croft doing a fake British accent um, is... And then you've got a lot of kind of comedy side characters. It's the kind of thing that you watch in the middle of the summer holidays. You've got nothing to do. But yeah. by the end of it, you're like, that basically felt like playing a video game. But I enjoyed it for like an hour and a half. Yeah, well, I mean, um, the new ones, like Alicia Vikander, I think her name is. Was I in haven't those. seen the I, new two. No, I don't, I don't know where they've gone. I think they, they make two. I have a weird feeling there's two of them. Or maybe I'm thinking of the video games now. I don't know. All anyway, I, know is, I think I with know Uncharted, Uncharted is similar. Sorry to interrupt you, but I think, I, I just don't see it being the most compelling thing to watch. Yeah, so the verdict is stay away from Uncharted, but... Keep an eye out for the last of us is what I'm saying. I reckon I still, I honestly, 
I'm excited for that. I think that could be unbelievably good. Do you know when I was researching this, just to wrap this segment up, well, there was one fact that stood out to me more than more than anything else, and it's the fact that Bella Ramsey, who's going to play the other lead role apart from Pedro Pascal, she's five foot one according to IMDb, which I think is incredibly short for a supposed 17-year-old, but we're yet to see how that translates onto screen. So you're, you're having a go at this international superstar because she's, she's too short for a 17-year-old. Dude, five foot one. Did you not hear me? That is... I mean, how, how tall is Petra Pascal? What if he's like five five? We just didn't know. Maybe, Maybe the Mandalorian's been on a box for every single scene he's shot so far. Perspective. It's all about perspective, guys. Vince, they like, just edit his face in like Iron Man. Like, yeah, it's not actually his body. And they, they don't even need to. He doesn't do any acting. They just, they've actually probably just got some stunt double, and they said they've got Pedro Pascal, and he's never actually done a single scene as the Mandalorian. It's like Tom Cruise playing Jack Reacher, who's supposed to be six four. So every scene Tom Cruise is in, he's standing on a stepladder so that he can be the same height as these bullets, and it makes no sense because you see him walking around like a diner at the same height as like a doorknob, and then suddenly he's six foot above it. Standing up with this absolutely jacked dude. Oh, okay, then. Thanks, Good Tom. Old Tom. Good old Tom. Um, uh, something else as well. I want to see what you two think about this. This Snyder cut of the Justice League, I don't know how long they've been producing it. It feels like the whole of lockdown, this has been coming. I've seen about 70 trailers, and yet he said this was the first official one, which didn't make any sense to me either. The original, Have you seen the original Justice League, like the one that came out three years ago? No, so it I, is, I haven't. I would genuinely say one of the worst films I've ever seen. It was awful. Like, really, really, really bad. And yet, they're, they're putting it out again. They spent, they spent, I can't remember how much money it was, silly, to to let Zack Snyder come back and finish it. And he's, he's just memeing on people. I mean, he got Joker to say, we live in a society. Like, he knows that's a joke. And he's put that in his film. I, I mean... So, for a bit of context, Harry, kind of what's the significance of this film coming back? Because, you know, we've so, already said that it... It was a, an awful, awful first release. Yeah. What, what's so, kind of happened since then to get a... Long release? story short, this is HBO as well, actually, who are taking this. So it's going out on HBO Max, their streaming service. Warner Brothers, who are in the right to DC and the Justice League, produced a Justice League film that was being directed by Zack Snyder. However, I think he had personal issues or something, and he ended up leaving production halfway through, and they handed it off to Joss Whedon, who is of the Avengers, is that... That, oh no, is that the Russos? I can't remember. Joss Whedon's done something famous. He's a big director. Anyway, right. he came in, put it out. It was rubbish. It made no sense. It, I, I, I don't even know. What, I've run out of superlatives to describe this film because it just didn't work. It doesn't. Nothing about it's right. It looks bad. The story's bad. The acting's bad. The characters are all over the place. Some of the CGI as well. They spent something like twenty million dollars removing in post-production Henry Cavill's moustache for another film. Yeah, and it so, doesn't look right. So one of the actors was doing another role at the same time and that actor needed a moustache and they decided he can keep it and we'll just try and remove it in post, all of it. But the maddest thing is, in post, the hardest two things to animate about the human face are the eyes and the mouth because the mouth has all these issues of any time you make any sort of movement with your mouth, there could be anything, it could be even breathing, um, your pores and your skin move around the mouth and they don't move in a way that you sort of can animate really easily unless you've got facial tracking. And it's the same with the eyes. So when it comes to animate the top of his mouth, they don't even have a frame of reference to go by because the moustache is covering what he would be saying. But they didn't go back and take samples of other things Henry Cavill's done and they didn't get him in to just shoot the same scenes and then paste his face on. They just said, we'll just we'll give it a we'll, go. Air, we'll airbrush it. And it looks awful. Anyway, this film came out. It sucked. Everyone came down on it really hard. And then one random fan wrote online, like, release the Snyder Cut, as in Zack Snyder, the original director. This hashtag was trending for ages. And then I think Warner Brothers was sort of like, we've screwed this franchise so hard after all the money we've put in, we might as well see if we can get him to do the full film again. So it's coming out as a five-hour series, five one-hour episodes instead of a film. Um, it's got a lot more stuff in it that he didn't have originally. So they recast all of the um, villain uh, antagonist element. They've reanimated all of that as well because it didn't look good. They've got the Joker from Suicide Squad in. So Jared Leto's in this, even though he wasn't in the first one that came out. They've got all these love interests and all this other stuff that wasn't in the original film. I think they've cut out quite a lot of the rubbish comedy that was in it because there was a lot of like, <laughs> good chat sort of comedy <laughs> that was just, I don't know, it didn't make, you know, they'd be, they'd be literally really dying good, and then Batman would make like a quip and it'd be, what are you doing? Because just nah, folk lock in, do you know what I mean? 
and it wasn't good. So, I mean, have you seen the trailer? The trailer looks cool, but I think every trailer looks cool. Do you know what I mean? You just put some nice music on it and some action and you're going to like it. No, I haven't seen the trailer, but, you know, for everything that we've just talked about, this is an interesting film to say the least. It's kind of been as a direct call of viewers, which is interesting. Uh, don't normally see that kind of thing, I, I think, in the film industry. And because this, the first one was so awful, um, there's quite a big expectation that this one's going to be a lot better. Uh, some kind of cult following for, for Zack Schneider. Some, uh, I think people think this is going to be some incredible uh, release. Obviously, it's not come out yet. So that's where the big expectation comes from with this one. Yeah, I mean, we, were talking, we were talking last week about um, like film trends going forward, and I feel like it would be quite fitting if this film was like the last hurrah of the superhero films. I'd love like, it to be, yeah, yeah. I, d- I mean, would, are you are you bothered in the sense that you would go and I mean, say this was coming out in the cinemas, would you go and watch this? Are you, are you intrigued enough now that you would? My problem with these, and it's like quite a kind of basic level problem, is that I never started, I never got started up again when Superman, when Henry Cavill was Superman. So for yeah. all the DC stuff, I basically haven't, I'm really out of the loop. So if I, I feel like if I were to watch Justice League, I'd need to watch, uh, what is it, Man of Steel, Superman? Um, Man of Steel, and then you've got, there was Batman another, versus... bad, another bad film, Batman and Superman. Yeah. yeah, and then like... I need to kind of catch up with all of them before I can get into it, which I kind of should get around to doing. Um, but that you hear reviews for each of them and you're kind of like, oh, it's not quite enough to convince me that it's worth it. Yeah, honestly, shocking. So the, the, the thing was with DC, I've seen all these films because they've taken so long to pump them out, but none of them were any good. So I wasn't going to Justice League thinking, oh, this is, you know, the last rock. Because at least with the Marvel films, you know, a couple of them are all right. Do you know what I mean? Thor Ragnarok was a really good film. I'll straight up say that. It was a really good Marvel film. Or even a couple of the other ones, I was at least like, you know the, the, antag- the protagonist is mildly interesting or i don't mind this plot or they put in the effort but the dc ones are so bad so i'm quite interested i mean i think Zack snyder's gone he's gone balls to the wall when he just said i'm just gonna make a film i want to make and see if people like it i'd quite like though this to set a precedent of if fans really didn't like something production houses putting the effort to redo it because i sort of rate that from warner yeah. brothers they tip- typically a studio wouldn't do that either we saw it with um, that Sonic film, didn't we? I don't know if this, yeah. this is a topic for another day, but yeah, th- this that- happened with that Sonic film. So I, I don't know. It is, it's out, isn't it? It came out a while ago. And it's, there's a second one coming out. It was good enough yeah. that they're getting a sequel. So what I happened mean- was like the animation of Sonic, who's a fictional hedgehog, was <laughs> like terrible when they released the the trailers for it they just got it wrong they just got the shape of the face the character just completely wrong and it was kind of a like what the situation like what what are you guys doing and it led the production house whoever it was i don't know to be honest it's just paramount it's another big one yeah paramount so yeah massive massive production house they just decided okay people have said that this is not good enough and they just reanimated the whole thing and from what I understand, it, it was actually quite successful, as we've yeah. heard. We're now going to get a second one. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's the news. That's quite, yeah, news. So it is time for the mailbag, the weekly Save the Stub mailbag. Obviously, over on our Instagram at Save the Stub, we let you on, ask your questions. Um, starting off, we have... A question from Rachel, who asks, just started re-watching Band of Brothers. How do you rate it? Um, either of you keen to jump on that one? Have you seen it, Will? I have not. Oof. Okay, I'll, I'll do it then. Go for it. Band, Band of Brothers is good, to be fair. It's like, if you saw Saving Private Ryan and like that, is that in a TV show? Actually, I think it might even have better production value. I agree, Band, I agree. Band of Brothers was, I think it was IMTV's like, top-rated TV show for ages and still until... Uh, Bloody David Attenborough and his Planet Earth came in, bastard. Um, and they are good. It's just like a war film that goes on. And the cast is mad. You've got s- random people doing like minor roles, like um, David Schwimmer turns up. Yeah, Michael Fassbender. I think Orlando Bloom knocks about in it as well. There's all these random A-list actors who just weren't doing anything at the time, so fancy filming a World War II film for a bit. 
Band of Brothers slaps, though. I, it, I think that's right, isn't it? In my head, Band of Brothers was like the first TV box set that I owned. It's like a mini series, right? But yeah. it's the first thing that I bought and like went through each disc wanting to watch it. Um, but like, no, it's great. I think it balances the reality of the Second World War, the history of it. I think it's quite like informative as well. Um, but also like the emotion of all the characters, such good acting, um, balancing action with emotion all around, just a great series, like like big name actors as well, but they're not they don't shy away of kind of focusing on the little guys. Yes. Yeah. It is spread about, like, isn't it? Important story as well. Um, really good pacing to it. I like. I think I rewatched it last year in the space of like a week. Um, I, it's it's interesting looking now because I think miniseries are becoming a bit of a thing. Kind of like you get anthology series at least. Um, but I really like how Band of Brothers did it at the start. Yeah, I mean, it's just if you like your your war films you you will not go wrong with band of brothers it's it's the high, it's the higher echelon of what you're getting from any of these these war things uh, i would yeah i'd thoroughly recommend it so for people that want to watch it how how many series have we got of it is it is it long it's, it's, so it's, it's it's one series it's one anthology i think it's only about eight to ten episodes something like that i think they're an hour each there's quite a diverse range of areas as well you know you start in a training camp it ends actually i, I won't say what happens in the other ones but you go all over the place you don't follow the same people for more than maybe a couple of episodes, do you? No, see, the whole thing follows Easy Company. It's like one kind of Is big, it? big it? platoon, not platoon, it's like bigger than a company. Um, but you see a like big diversity of characters and you kind of get characters at the start who come in at the end, um, who kind of, they've changed a lot and that adds a bit to the narrative. But I think the whole thing ne- never blows itself out of proportion. It's really focused, concentrated and yeah, it's just great TV. Yeah, so Rachel, thirty banger. We've given it the approval stamp. Right, moving on to our next question. Um, who are some of your most overrated and underrated actors of the last decade? Oh, I I was doing a thing yesterday on underrated actors. I was reading Jake Gyllenhaal has never received an Oscar nomination as a lead actor. Now, I, Jake Gyllenhaal How? is a good actor. How did Nightcrawler know. not get an Oscar nomination? Do you, do you know what I mean? Nightcrawler, have you seen Nightcrawler, Will? I haven't, no. Oh, thoroughly, what a film. Great film. Nightcrawler is one of those films that, like, I think it's on Netflix. If you've got a spare evening this week, just watch it. Okay. Yeah. It's, like, it's that kind of thing where, like, it immediately grabs your, atten- your attention yeah. and you'll finish it and be like, what a great film. Like, that was worth my evening. It's one of yeah. those things where you watch it and you're like, why have I not like, yeah. watched this before? <laughs> It's, it's, it's a weird film as well because everyone sort of knows about it. Everyone knows it's good and yet it doesn't almost receive as many plaudits as it should do. It's kind of a weird one. It is, you will enjoy it though. Well, really good film. I mean, other underrated and overrated actors. Overrated. I mean, there's so many of these, especially this superhero genre. Like, things like, I actually think people like Johnny Depp, most bang average actors. You know, there are these posts all the time on Instagram that are things like, how has Johnny Depp not won an Oscar? I'm thinking, well, what has the man actually done that I was thinking that's sick? You're not giving you're not giving it Jack Sparrow an Oscar. I'll tell you that. Edward Scissorhands is not getting an Oscar. Sweeney Todd is not getting an Oscar. Willy Wonka's not getting an Oscar. So where is this man getting <laughs> nominations from? You know? I enjoyed Pirates of the Caribbean, but I don't think he's like oh, yeah, yeah. worthy. <laughs> I yeah. agree with Jake Gyllenhaal as well. I'm just looking through some of the things we reviewed in the past like year and a bit, and End of Watch is another great film. Yeah, like that's yeah. tough. It's that's like tough watching, but it's tough acting that kind of meets the standard. I don't understand how you don't win an award for that, or at least get nominated. I think yeah. the film industry is like like many others, like music and and things that are similar. People are largely successful due to. But it's not luck, but, you know, getting a break in something and they get exposed uh, and all of a sudden you, you're kind of in that sphere of I'm a big actor or I've been in big films and you, you're kind of a lot more likely to get cast and things. And, you know, uh, all kind of media and, and kind of the arts are very much open to that, I think. And yeah, it's uh, as being someone that doesn't know a lot about films, I can still recognise that there's going to be loads of actors that are really big in Hollywood that aren't necessarily the best. I mean, yeah. I've been really enjoying is um, 
Matthew McConaughey, I think, like, he's probably properly rated. I don't know if he's overrated. but um... Yeah, he's a weird one, isn't he? Because when it was sort of the era of failure to launch and rom-coms, everyone looked at Matthew McConaughey as absolute chump work. And yeah. then he went and did sort of Interstellar, and then off the back of that has done things like True Detective. I and now Trude- he's, you know, revered. Just finished True Detective that first season and <laughs> loved Matthew McConaughey. Thought he was so yeah. good. Really good. One th- one name that's come up is Robert Pattinson. Do we do we think underrated, overrated, properly rated? So this is interesting. If I just jump in again from a you know less involved person in film, Robert Pattinson. I think everyone knows. You know, broke onto the scene from the Twilight series, and <laughs> everyone I think has an opinion on Twilight, especially if you're you're people of our age. Um, but obviously Robert got slated for being in that and I'm, I've never seen it so I don't actually know if it's a good performance I, you know it's it's aimed at no. teens so I can't imagine that it's like particularly incredible but you know he's he's been cast in things recently and you know he's the new Batman which is quite quite a big gig quite a serious serious role to be undertaking um, I saw him in something recently that I was really really impressed with and I'm just trying to remember what it was was it Tenet? It was Tenet. Of course it was. Um, I thought he was really good in Tenet. I was really surprised. Obviously, you know, I don't keep track with Robert Pattinson to see it, to see him in Tenet, um, which is an interesting film, by the way. I'm not, not sure how I feel about it, but his performance in it, I thought was was really good and probably one of the, the better parts of that film. Um, what, what do you guys think? I'm not, I'm not going to start discussing that. That film. Wow. We don't we don't wow. have to talk about yeah, Tenet. Don't don't don't, don't get Harry <laughs> talking about Tenet. It's not, hate we've we've spoken about this off off the podcast. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think though the actors that I think are actually over or underrated, because a lot of them are actors that I sort of respect or don't. And in that way, I do or don't like them. I have to say, so one of the things overrated, I think Ben Affleck is my bang average actor. Have I don't seen, I do um, not get it. Have you seen Gone Girl? Yeah. So he's yes. good in that. We've watched it together. Feel like, oh yeah, we have, haven't we? I almost feel like he didn't have to do. Like, a Roseman Pike in that is one of the best acting performances I've ever seen. Yeah, I agree in my opinion, I, it's a great film, and she is so good in it. But I actually don't think he has to do a ton for it. It's weird. In a weird way, I think I, he plays who he is in real life. No, I get that. I think like he can literally just be like a mopey man. Who's a bit of a sleaze. Yeah. That's, need to be... that's just Ben Affleck, isn't it? Yeah. So, he doesn't need so to I was be... a little bit like, fine. He doesn't need to kind of portray anyone different, really. His character's not the main focus of that, that's that the thing. film, is it? So. I'm trying to right. think, there are some other actors as well, you know, uh, people like Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth, I actually think are really good actors, but aren't rated for acting skill so much as they've managed to get jacked in the gym to play Captain America or Thor, like actually I good actors. I think actor Chris Evans, right. he showed that a little bit in Knives Out. I think yeah. he kind of, yeah. he was like a villain, but he was kind of like, he wasn't just a typical like sleazy, angry man villain. He like seemed like he had a bit of a kind of, kind of witty edge to him um which i quite liked i think he's got a bit of range that it would be nice to see a bit more of um so yeah there's a few i'd have to think about it more to really get down to so i think properly over underrated a lot of the big ones i really don't just don't think much uh, of altogether we can come back next next episode with uh some underrated and overrated actors i'll get back to you final question of the mailbag what is the main reason you watch films oh this is a big Big overarching, but um, existential. No, it makes it. It gives us a bit of kind of purpose on this podcast to talk about heading into each week. Why do we? Why do we head to the to the TV screen? I mean, Will, why? Because I think your your take would probably might be the most interesting, given that you've sort of started showing this interest more so recently than you had done before. Yeah, so this can get us really deep, can't it, guys? Wow, this is quite a heavy. <laughs> yeah, keep it keep it light. This is a really heavy, quite heavy question. I think, you know, this is going to be different for lots of different people. Which is, yeah, Harry, you're right. Why why it might be interesting? We all have a different opinion, but in general, you know, the older I've got, the more I've got into kind of going to museums going to see art listening to more different types of music and i kind of they're both laughing at me look at you well what, i just don't this? i don't know how often you're at a museum mate i no, don't know how you say it at the moment what i mean is if you go on holiday you know typical 
everyone likes to fucking just <laughs> go on with you. Yeah. I think the older I get, like the more I'm coming to appreciate different different things in life, and that that ties into films. Come on, let's let's get over the wishy washy stuff. Um, you know, art's a really interesting concept that they're all designed to make you feel different things, and I think particularly in the pandemic where you can't really do much else and you, you're almost going on this little journey of self-exploration and you very much have to be comfortable with yourself and, and your own thoughts. I think watching, you know, TV and films is a bit of an escape where you, you kind of don't have to focus so much on yourself or you can rely on something else to make you feel certain emotions. Um, and, you know, that's why we have loads of different genres of films. We've got comedies and, and romantic films and, and films that are about hardship and, all... and rom-coms and <laughs> loads of it. <laughs> yeah. The, I, I think it's really interesting that you can watch something and it can really change your perception of an event or of yourself in general or of other people um, within the space of like a few hours. I think that's a really interesting concept. Uh, and what films can do is they can basically translate any kind of message or any kind of emotion that whoever's made the film, whoever's acting in it, who, whatever they want. Um, I think that's a really interesting idea. It's not something I'd really appreciated before. And I think if I'd given the answer maybe a year ago or so, I'd probably just say that I, I turn on films because I, I don't have much else to do. But it's kind of developing into me appreciating it as, as an art form, which ultimately I think we can agree is what filmmaking is about. Um, yeah, Rory, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with everything you just said. I think I've, I enjoy storytelling and kind of seeing how people present stories and messages um, through film and through kind of acting. Mm, it's getting very deep, but like mise-en-scene, like kind of directorial aspects. Um, and I think kind of seeing other people's lives, whether fictional or non-fictional. Um, yeah, like you said, it's a bit of an escape, but at the same time, you kind of relate to these people a little bit, which is what makes you feel those things. Um, and yes, it's entertainment. I mean, just to relate this back to the, the film that we watched this week, One Night in Miami, Harry mentioned it. I think that scene with Jim Brown at the start of the film is is probably the scene that struck me most in the film, particularly early on. Um, you know, we've all got a knowledge of uh, the struggle for civil rights in America in the 60s. I think most people, even if you're from the UK, you know, we, we kind of get taught this in school now and stuff. Um, but it's very difficult to appreciate exactly how hard it was and how striking some of the things that were going on in America at that time were. And kind of that, you know, the medium of film, seeing that on screen and hearing the language and seeing Jim's reaction to what's being said, it kind of just brings that all to life. And I think that's a good example of how um, film can be so much more powerful than just learning things in school or, um, you know, reading them in books, experiencing things, you know, bringing them into your own living room or into your own thoughts by watching them on screen. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's it's pretty powerful. Harry, what what do you think? You're not very good at doing deep things, so I'm interested to see what, what you got to I'm say. I'm very emotional. <laughs> my, girl, my, girl, my girlfriends will tell you. Um, I For me, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because I got into... Sorry, when I start watching films, I then become invested because I've now watched it and I want to know more about the background which then means that I find other things that I then want to watch off the back of that, which is how I've got to the point that I am today. And, you know, I don't know how many films I've watched. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not a nice number. Do you know what I mean? But quite a few. I think, yeah. But it's through the best films that I've seen in me can provoke such an emotional response that it is more powerful than a book or a song or, you know, people have that attachment to music, for example, you know, like in soul, little callback there. There we go. That I don't have. But for, for me, that is what I get from, you know, an excellent film or a TV show. And it's little things like, if you've seen Blade Runner 2049, it's quite a niche example. There is a scene where Ryan Gosling takes the baseline test for the second time. And looking at the um, background, how that scene is made. So I'm talking 
not just your VFX, but how the CG is done, how the uh, music is shot to is uh, placed to it, how it's shot to make you feel things like paranoia, and how Ryan Gosling does really subtle things like they'll make him tense his jaw on his left hand side and things like that, so you get the sense that he's struggling even though this man's supposed to be a robot, or he'll swallow at a certain point, or there'll be a pause of like a millisecond, but it's enough for you to subconsciously perceive what that director is trying to tell you. Things like that, to me, I see as being. I, I just think it's an amazing thing. And if you and if I were, if I were a director, my sole objective would to be to be able to create a visceral response in the person watching what I'm making. And that is almost again with One Night in Miami, what Regina King has been intending to do. When you get that Jim Brown scene at the start, you get that visceral reaction of 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 how you feel about that scene or the music at the end. I got the same thing watching the stuff about uh, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke singing that song. That's that visceral reaction where that is what saves that film for me. Cause otherwise I'm thinking that's, that's a forgettable film. But then you see these certain things that grab you or that you remember. And then you could see them 10 years on and you'd still know why you got that reaction or why you feel that way. Or if your reactions change from that point, you know, there's things like, sorry, I'm going on a bit, but, Rory and I went and saw um, a Japanese film in Somerset House in London at the open air cinema. And this is one of my favorite films ever. And like the experience for me of seeing this film uh, on this, you know, massive canvas screen in London in the summer was, was amazing. But the people I was with, I was fully aware weren't getting that same experience. But that's because for me, film is a much more important thing than it is for them. And that, that's cool, obviously, and that's fine. But that is why... I feel the way I do about film and almost why I speak about it so sort of passionately where some people might say I'm not so passionate about other things. So uh, that, yeah. that, I don't know. That's, that's why I like them. That's why I enjoy film. I mean, if you're or listening not. to this, you're either fairly interested in films or you're one of our friends. Yeah. That we've <laughs> you're almost definitely a mate that I've asked insisted to <laughs> that you've Or you're one watch. of those people that Harry just said wasn't into the film as much as he was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Rory, that includes you, doesn't it? But yeah. no, it's an interesting point. Um, you know, you're probably into films if you're listening to this, let's hope anyway, because we're not, you know, <laughs> we're new at this. We're, we're, we realise we're not the most engaging at times, but I think oh, that mate. wraps us up nicely. Don't <laughs> say that. Call it, call it, call it. We can cut it out. It's fine. <laughs> no, but if you're watching this, Crikey. I've said it, I think you're, you're probably more interested in films, but it, it's an interesting debate about finding and kind of realizing an interest in the arts whether that's films or music if you can find that connection to something that makes you feel emotion it's just so unbelievably powerful and if you've not found that yet you know go to a concert or go to the theater when when we obviously can try and try and watch a number of different films <laughs> that are highly rated because uh yeah it's 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 a really interesting feeling so that was episode two of save the stub uh thank you guys for listening next week we are watching The Matrix actually we're going back for a little bit of a classic which is streaming now on um, Amazon Prime if you fancy watching before the next one comes out so what's left for me to say is thank you to Will and Rory uh, and uh, see you guys next week save the stars